Welcome to Spec Island. This is Stanley and Alex. We're two Silicon Valley tech product managers who love stock investing and have jumped on board the SPAC boat. SPACs have become a popular way for startups to go public, and dozens have chosen to pursue this route. Some SPACs have done incredibly well, while others turned out to be smoke and mirrors. Join us on our journey to find the diamonds in the rough. But please, always do your own research before trading. This is not financial advice. Whoa, it's 129? I think it was like 100 last time I looked at this. Yeah, it dipped during like the growth kind of mini crash a few weeks ago, but it's been bouncing back. I like this is this is why like it was unfortunate that we had to wait because I've been looking at this for like a week or so right before it like really started ramping up because like all growth has been ramping back up. Yeah. I mean, you can see the peak for upstart is uh, 170, like what, just two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So... I mean, there's definitely, it's still def, like undervalued relative to where it was just a few weeks ago. So Upstart is a company that only recently IPO'd. At the end of 2020, they went public at a price of around $30 a share. And what was interesting to me about that business is they approach fintech from a perspective that's a bit different from a lot of high-flying startups that you hear about nowadays. So like what I'm talking about is like Robinhood or Betterment. These types of companies are a lot about democratizing consumer finance through, you know, really polished marketing and really nice apps and customer experiences. The way that they approach customers is say, okay, you have all of these old financial institutions they offer like boomers all of these services and the world is just different now everything is about this instant gratification that's what Robinhood is all about for betterment it's all about applying robotic investing to you know a world where you might have a wealth manager trying to uh, manage your funds and upstart was very different to me because their primary business isn't so directly customer facing. So what they do is they are more of the tech side of financial tech. And their teams have built up a lot of data around uh, consumer behavior and FICO scores. And they build out these models to train so that they can pinpoint which customers should be uh, lent money, so so just average people like you and me, which people can be lent money, but with a much lower rate of defaulting. So even if you don't have the highest credit score, their models are able to find people or or determine that a person coming to ask for a loan is actually less likely to, to default than traditional systems might imply. And what that means is uh, with these models that they've built, they have gone to different banks and said, hey, you guys have a loan origination office, five guys or gals sitting in an office manually reviewing these loans. That's very inefficient. There's lots of biases. We have these automated systems that we've built that can you know, make better decisions and you should pay us money to you know, help validate credit worthiness. And so... They've taken that model and 
basically, you know, raised a bunch of money over the last, um, you know, eight years or so. Now they've gone public and have become profitable in the last few quarters. Yep. I think that's a, a good summary of, of Upstart from like a business standpoint. I think it's also interesting from like a business standpoint, like so many people are, they're feeding so many different folks. So a lot of people are just using their uh, software and their service as a, as a backend for like banks and all, all this kind of uh, things that are happening these, happening these days. So I think like when you look, when you look going forward at Upstart and its growth opportunities, essentially if everyone's plugging into this, it could be really interesting um, as a growth stock. Like right now it's $13 billion market cap, but I could easily see this in maybe three to five years being like almost a hundred billion dollar company just because They've almost got like a stranglehold on yeah, on that data yeah. and the analytics, and then also getting this really nice client book. I always like to think about the secular trends happening within company space, and so since Upstart is more of this financial technology sector, you know, I'm just super bullish on it. I think other big names like PayPal and Square have been at this for a long time and have really proven that as big as the financial sector already is in the trillions of dollars, there is so much more value that can be generated by having a core competency in technology. So without getting into too many like metrics on how fast the industry is growing or even anything too deep, at a high level, I think it's just an industry that is just so rich with opportunity that already, you know, checks off its box yeah, for me. I agree. I think everyone everyone's gonna use some type of service like this. Whether they build it in-house or there's another upstart that comes along, everyone's gonna be using this in the next three to five years. So it's just a matter of how much of a lead upstart can hold over the any competition that comes out. And I think a lot of different industries are like health insurance life insurance, all of these different industries are using this right now. Affirm is another example of using analytics and AI and a lot of data to quickly analyze somebody's background to give them some type of risk assessment. So when you look at those other, like Affirm, Ethos, all these other companies that are applying the same kind of analytics and data, could any of them kind of move into Upstart's territory and start eating away at their clients? Potentially, but there's just so much room for growth in each of these silos right now that they're still trying to get their whole silo. They're still trying to get that one sector as opposed to conquering a sector and then moving on to the next next one. So Upstart is in a really good place in this specific sector, and I don't I don't see anyone immediately competing with them in the short term. I agree. The really interesting piece is that Upstart, based on the investor presentations that they've sent out. You know, Upstart doesn't charge money for like loaning out money. They're not a bank. They are kind of the engine behind the bank. So their value proposition to banks is they'll say, hey, banks, give me all of your data. I will give you better decision making than you otherwise would. And so when the banks sign up and give them these data points that they would normally look at, and now Upstart is looking at it and pushing it through their machine learning algorithms to train, they get that from all the different banks and they can pool that information to make better decisions than any one of the banks ever could. So I think that that is a really interesting moat that they're building in two ways. One is you're just aggregating from a huge pool of data. So 
even if let's say a JP Morgan or Bank of America, which sits on obviously a mountain of data, even if they wise up and hire enough engineers to try to compete in this space, you know, or if a firm like you mentioned, which also collects a lot of data, uh, tries to start uh, moving into the space, they themselves have their own huge pile of data that they're training off of. Um, number two, they're they're basically giving uh, these decisions on a very fast basis. So if you're signing up for uh, you know a credit card or a loan, their initial market is personal unsecured debt, so like credit card debt. So presumably, if you're trying to sign up for a credit card or for you know some type of personal loan, they're making really fast decisions. So the amount of time it takes to optimize your systems to have a good customer experience where you sign up and the proverbial like within you know a few seconds, you'll be able to like see if you qualify for X amount of loan. That is something that is really hard to get to even if you have all of the data, right? Because you have to fine tune all your models, you have to think about fraud, mitigations, while you're trying to determine creditworthiness. So I think they found a channel to aggregate all of this data and they have a huge head start in um, in making good use of it. Yep, yeah, and that's a pretty massive mode in this space. I mean, whoever tries to chip away is going to take it's going to take them years to to get to a point where they're competitive. But they would already have to win contracts away from Upstart, who's obviously going to be entrenched. So they're going to have a slog, and um, they're not going to be as good for a while until they can get the minimum amount of data needed to to meaningfully compete. It's obviously really good growth prospects here. It's got a solid moat. It's a great company. I guess now the question is: is it is right now a good time to to buy, I think we're on another kind of growth spree in the market. Well, actually, actually, Alex, before we get into mm-hmm. that, I love the company so much. I actually want to talk a little bit about their leadership as well, because for me, investing like on the qualitative side of things, I care a lot about the executive team and kind of their backgrounds and you know their kind of ability to drive the company forward. And you know, I think from what I can see. They actually have a really interesting team. Um, the CEO was, I think, the president of Google Cloud or like their enterprise arm of Google. So pretty high up executive at Google. He was so confident he basically quit his Google job, which at that executive level presumably meant he was like the opportunity cost in in like the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. That to me was already impressive that he was willing to kind of step out of the rest invest cycle and work on something really important like like this. But he also has a co-founder that came out of the Teal Fellowship. So this kid at Yale uh, basically had like a really similar idea, dropped out of Yale uh, to work on it, and I guess came across uh, the CEO who had just quit his job at Google to work on this idea. And he, this uh, Peter Thiel fellow, now is head of product there. And listening to him talk, you know, at multiple points in the journey, like pre-IPO when they're first in the startup phase, like how he's thinking about this problem, um, he's like, like at least you know three to five times, ten times smarter than I am. So like, investing in that person to me is kind of a no-brainer. Um, 
like the way he can clearly articulate the problems in the finance industry and his vision for how the product can move forward in a very kind of technical level, I think is is really exciting to see in a company with a product that is also so uh, machine learning AI heavy. I typically don't look at the the team so much because they, they tend to change, but having your founder still be in charge um, post IPO and still being able to run the company at a high level is uh, is somewhat rare actually, and it it's a good indication of what kind of leader they are. But okay, getting into the numbers, I think the numbers like themselves are also firing. Uh, so not the last quarter, but the previous quarter, they were guiding FY twenty one. So uh, this year's uh, revenue to be around five hundred million, which I think it was already like a huge jump. Um, from their previous quarter, or from their yeah, from their from their previous kind of year, um, but then last quarter, so one quarter after the five hundred million dollar guidance, they upped it to six hundred, which is why it like went up uh, so much a few months ago. If you look at the market cap that they're at now, with today's uh, or with the revenue they have so far, I think they're sitting at maybe like the low thirties. Revenue to so like uh, price to sales multiple, but if you look at it, maybe even by the end of the year, it could be in the twenties or even teens if the stock price doesn't kick up to match. I think in a world where you have a growth companies that you know are super not profitable, I think it's really interesting to be able to invest in a company that. Um, is growing so fast, has an awesome team in an interesting market that isn't like, you know, 60 times revenue. It's uh, pretty rare. And I think looking forward, like obviously they've got good revenue uh, projections. It just seems almost like a, a no-brainer to, to invest. I think, is there any reason not to invest? I think there's a couple angles you could take with this. One is regulatory. So the finance space is obviously one that is super heavily regulated and with data and use of data uh, in a privacy sense coming under scrutiny, uh, not only in Europe, but also more so in the US nowadays, I think there's a lot of potential pitfalls in terms of you know automated decision-making that could slow down upstart if that were to happen. But I think Upstart is small enough to really fly under the radar. Like, I think a lot of the Upstart journey has been just like, you know, they have really compelling tech. Why is nobody else, you know, applying tech in this way? As big as the uh, fintech space is, like, why are there not more, you know, substitutes for Upstart? They have a weird knack for flying under the radar. And I think that would really, you know, help them out if they could uh, keep growing without too much scrutiny. And then I think on the competitor side, if these banks somehow don't want to contribute all that data or like if the data that Upstart gets cannot be applied throughout their entire modeling process. So for example, if one bank contributes data, but you have to generate a bank specific model as opposed to strengthening the model across their entire product line, I think that that would be really problematic. Yeah, both of those 
are potential issues, but I guess I, I don't see them as something that uh, is a high amount of risk or something that would significantly reduce the uh, the stock price. It might just slow slow growth is what I would, would be kind of my take on it. Yeah, the other thing is they recently bought a company that uh, that's going to help them do auto insurance. So they basically they started out in the personal unsecured debt market, and then recently they acquired a company to do auto loans, which is a a bigger market, especially nowadays, where I hear there's a lot of like the used car market and all that. Like there's a lot of uh, lack of inventory, uh, hinting at high demand for uh, for these vehicles, which means you're going to have more people taking out you know loans uh, for their cars but the market size that they're moving towards is much bigger so who knows i think they're probably hiring the right people like i was looking at their open listings and they have positions for pretty much everything so they're growing in all directions um, but i think if they grow too much too fast maybe that's a problem but it seems like they're just taking the machine learning core competency that they already have and scaling that to ever larger markets, which to me sounds like a pretty decent roadmap. But uh, I mean, I clearly am super bullish on this. It's kind of up to you to like kind of balance me out. So like, are there any uh, red flags that you think should pay attention to? Any like macro trends or, or, you know, things about, you know, the company that you might want to call out? Yeah, so I think my main take is that uh, the growth has been really, really good. Obviously, it's profitable. Obviously, it's making a lot of money. On the macro side, my feeling is, would a bank want to make this in-house? Would a bank want to try to take this and, and do it themselves? I think your point about how they're able to aggregate all the data from all the different banks uh, just gives them such a massive amount of leverage over any one bank that would try to take this on. Uh, like I could see a Goldman or... Uh, one of the big banks trying to make something like this in-house. But I also wonder, getting a lot of data is great. Uh, it's definitely helpful, especially when you have a large portfolio of different banks. But if you're Goldman, if you're one single massive bank, do you have enough data in-house on all of your own systems that you could actually just make a an upstart that's maybe like 98 or 97% as effective in-house? But the only, only thing is then upstart loses one client. So does that really affect Upstart that much? Probably not. And not many banks are going to be able to do that because it's such a massive undertaking and it's such a specialized uh, set of talented people, especially at this stage in the kind of big data, AI trends, analytics market. It's still pretty early days. And now you're able to see a lot of the companies that are doing this are just taken off because I think it's still pretty specialized. It's not that easy to go out and find somebody who can do this. A lot of it is just having somebody who's going to learn on the job um, how to make, how to apply uh, these analytics to the specific sector. So originally, I was, I was, I was thinking that the big banks or someone else would try to come in. But now, after talking through this, I don't really see how possible it would be for a competitor to come in, um, or for a bank just to to do it in house. I could see it actually coming from the tech side of fintech, mm-hmm. where. Uh, let's say Amazon or Google, these companies that sit on mountains of transactional information or just like generally information about people could come in and start modeling credit worthiness. I think it's easier to get into this if you already have like a huge team of engineers. So like the idea that a Wells Fargo would suddenly become masters of deep learning and model building and, you know, 
all that is to me a little ridiculous like it would just take so much effort for them to like pivot that giant freighter ship but uh for an amazon or a google to come in uh with their own type of product to lend out loans like you know amazon has been trying to do amazon pay for a long time google obviously has google pay so i think that is where the direction of most uh competitor risk would come from i'd agree with that i'd say like also it's really nice to have a lot of data from a lot of different sources like upstart's able to get i think the uh, only thing is you don't necessarily need that much data so if you're um amazon or google and you have like a hundredth as much data is that enough to get you started in the market to start pulling clients away and the answer is probably yes and they have the name brand uh, so it doesn't have to be as good because nobody's ever heard of Upstart. Maybe in the banking world they have, but smaller banks, other people that you're going after might not have necessarily heard about these folks. So and my feeling is that Amazon or Google wouldn't be the one who kind of hops into the space. My feeling is it would try to, it'd be one of these data startups, like a firm looking for another place to go, Klarna. Because right now a lot of their focus is on marketing to consumers, which is really tough. But being able to have some B2B angle is from an investment standpoint, really, really nice. But it does get away from their core competency, and you never really want to split focus, uh, especially as a startup, if you can call these massive companies startups anymore. It's uh, it's in the 120s, which uh, is bouncing a bit back from its lows a few weeks ago, and definitely you know, up quite a bit from when it was down in May 2021, where growth really kind of bottomed out. But I think it's still a buy, even for like, even if this is like a one-year hold, this would, I think would still be a money printer. I think, you know, I, I'm more of like a five plus person. So I think, you know, on a, on a green day like this, you know, it doesn't dissuade me from like trying to pick a better entry point. Yeah. I think also it's, it's a nice, like if you look at a firm, a firm stock price, so a firm is like a, it's maybe not quite comparable, but there are, so a firm is on the consumer side assessing consumer credit worthiness and then upstart is on the back end for all these banks assessing their customers credit worthiness but the the thing about upstart is because it's b2b they don't have these massive massive marketing costs that a firm does now a firm just partnered with shopify recently and they've tried to reduce that uh, customer acquisition cost a little bit but um if you look at so right now a firm has like a 17 billion dollar market cap and upstart has like a 12 billion dollar market cap but so much of a firm's money goes into marketing that Upstart doesn't have to deal with. So when you look at long-term growth, as long as Upstart can continue finding customers and and uh, onboarding them, like it has like a really clear growth trajectory. Whereas a firm first has to get consumers on, and then they have to keep acquiring consumers in new markets. So like, I think Klarna is like a equivalent of a firm. So Klarna does the same thing with um, uh, credit worthiness, but they started in Europe. So now they've gone from Europe and now they're starting to expand in the US. And so they're just spending lots of marketing dollars to acquire those customers here. But Upstart doesn't have these these issues with because uh, it's B2B. So it's so much cheaper for them to acquire customers and much more valuable customers. So when you look at the relative value of the two companies, I think maybe a firm has a premium because it's a well-known brand in the consumer space. But uh, Upstart probably has more legs in the long term, uh, especially from a profitability standpoint. All right, I uh, I just pulled the trigger. So I was sitting on about 4K in cost basis 
So I, I put down another four or five. Yeah, and we'll see see where it goes in the next yeah. uh, couple of years here. I mean, I when I get in when I got in on this, this is like the fourth time I'm buying in. Like I got in December last year, January, February. Like this is one of those where I really wish I had just like put down a full slug of cash um, from the very beginning. It's one of those guys. So I think I'm going to be chasing. Yeah, it especially like in the February dip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's been it's been a good stock. I, I thought it was a little bit overvalued back when it had an eight billion dollar market cap, but um, it's held firm. It's been uh, been going up. It's been doing really well, and uh, obviously their projections are fantastic. Yeah. So um, all right, so, mission yeah. accomplished. Makes sense. Thanks so much for listening. Follow us at SPAC Island on Twitter for updates, to give us feedback on the show, and to tell us which SPACs to review next. No. The opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and not of any entities that they may be associated with. As always, this is not financial advice. Remember to do your own research.